Today, we are delighted to have a true legend on the podcast. She is a multiple world champion, a USA Triathlon Hall of Famer, successful coach of an Olympic medalist and Ironman champion, inspiration to many, many thousands through her Bedhead Chronicles on social media, and simply one of the great ambassadors and embodiments of the power of self-belief. So welcome to the World Triathlon Podcast, Siri Lindley. Oh, it's so great to be here. Thank you, Doug. I can't wait for this conversation. As you know, I love this sport. I feel so grateful for my experience in it. So thank you for having me. We've got a lot of ground to cover, so from triathlon and, and well beyond. So just to pe- paint a picture of whereabouts you are right now, and it's it's Friday evening here. You know, how, how has it been a typical Friday in the Lindley household? <laughs> well, It's a special, you know, yesterday was Thanksgiving here in America. I am in Longmont, Colorado, which is basically just outside of Boulder. Um, And this has been a special year because I overcame and triumphed over leukemia, uh, which was the greatest challenge of my entire life, probably the scariest thing I've ever been through. But um, I am so deeply grateful. And yesterday was a huge day of just expressing my gratitude for this incredible miracle of life, you know, and I think so much of what we learn being athletes and and all the challenges we come up against uh, when we are pursuing a, a goal that may seem impossible, it really helped me kind of master my mindset and to be able to get through what I have, but I am so happy to say that I am almost nine months post bone marrow transplant and I am cancer free. I get to live, which is uh, the most divine gift I could ever ask for. And so this Friday, I am just uh, feeling truly deeply blessed and grateful to be here and to be able to have this conversation and to be able to say that, you know, everyone out there, athletes, uh, what you are developing character wise uh, challenging yourself with this sport is going to help you in every other area of your life, and um, it's just magnificent. Mm. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, it was it was in July, was it, that you heard that you were clear completely? It was. Yeah, I was diagnosed exactly a year ago on when this past Wednesday. Um, and it was so August. before Thanksgiving last year. Actually. Yeah, exactly. So they were oh. very different Thanksgivings. Yeah. You know, last year and and this year were very, very different. Um, but uh, yeah, so in August, I found out I was cancer free, and and I'm just continuing to get stronger and healthier every single day. And um, it's it's been quite the journey. But I'm just so deeply grateful uh, to be here now and to feel as well as I do, and and to be back. I'm back. I I ran a turkey trot 5K, you know, virtual yesterday on Thanksgiving. And and that to me, you know, when I was really, really sick and in hospital, I tried to really focus on the life that awaited me when I would triumph over this. And I would think about, you know, running on my favorite trails and, you know, being back with my athletes coaching. and, And I would just see myself, you know, doing these things again and feeling what it would feel like and and really putting myself in that space where I felt like I was there. And that helped me so much. So you can imagine, you know, yesterday running 5k on the treadmill was just the most joyous 
experience ever because I was actually doing what I've been dreaming of doing over the last year. And, you know, granted, my goal was to run 5K in what I used to run 10K in, uh, in under 34 minutes. And I did that. And I ran 5K in 31 minutes, which is, of course, you know, nothing like what I used to do, but it just doesn't matter to me. It's, it's the fact that I am running and I am alive and I am healthy. And that is such a gift. Right. And that was, so that was literally your first kind of run of that distance. Was it, had you set Thanksgiving as the, the moment you wanted to, to take that on? I've been building up. I, I really can only run like maybe twice a week and I've actually gotten up to four and a half miles very, very slowly, like, you know, 11 minute 30 per mile. But my goal was to actually do a 5k where I could push it a little bit, you know, not just go the distance, but push it a little. So that was actually me doing like, you know, my own little 5k race. And um, it felt so good to not only know that I could go the distance, but that I could you know, challenge myself and push it a little bit. And it was just the ultimate celebration of life and living and this gift. And, and I think a, a great lesson, you know, that I tell people now is sometimes on those days when you just don't feel like working out, like you just don't feel like doing it. I don't think I'll ever have a day like that ever again, because I just see like, you get to do this. You get to move your body. You get to go for a run. You get to go for a swim. Like what a gift because I know what it feels like to not be able to do that. And I honestly don't think that I will ever, ever again in my life dread having to move my body or do a workout. I just consider it the ultimate gift. Yeah. I mean, to have obviously not only be told that you've got a life-threatening illness, but that that by consequence takes away everything that gives you pleasure as well. I mean, you're an incredibly positive person, but that that sort of double header must have really shaken you, didn't it? Or, or, or did it actually sort of galvanize your, your inner positivity a bit? Um, yeah, I mean, it shook me. It, it turned my life upside down, you know, and, and I was so overwhelmed with fear and shock and, you know, all of that. But I knew that sitting in those feelings was not going to lead me to triumph. Sitting in feelings of how sad, how scared, how anxious, how sick I felt was not going to help me heal. So I made the decision. And, and actually, the day of my diagnosis, I, I turned to my wife and I said, this is not my time to go. I am going to survive. And I am going to thrive. And regardless of how bad it looked, like that was my decision. And I think that when we declare that, when we make that decision and we declare it to someone that we love and care about and that we're accountable to, what that made me do is discipline my thoughts, my focus, the meaning I gave every single thing that was happening to me. It made me have those thoughts, feelings, and meanings empower me rather than weaken me. So for example, Instead of saying, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened to me. Like, why me? Like, that's not going to help me. And instead, I thought, okay, maybe this is happening for a greater purpose. Maybe I'm going to learn something through this experience that is going to allow me to be that much more and give that much more to the world around me. 
perhaps there's something I'm going to learn that is going to be a beautiful, powerful message that can touch people's lives and make a difference. So I, I found an empowering meaning. And in moments of, you know, deep sadness or, or deep depression or just feeling so sick, I would, I would acknowledge those feelings. I would love myself through it. And then I'd say, okay, let's change the channel. I'm going to change the channel to gratitude. I'm so grateful that I have my wife and my mom beside me in every single moment. I have the best doctors in the country. I've got my spirit, my, I've got proof, you know, of in the past where I was faced with something that seemed impossible, but I found a way to overcome it and make it possible. Like I have proof of times that I have overcome and I have triumphed. And so every time I was lost in those horrible emotions and feelings that were not helping me heal, I would change my focus to something that would empower me. And gratitude was the bridge. Gratitude is what gave me hope. It gave me energy. Um, and it helped me to really stay in my power rather than fall into, you know, the depths of sadness. So but that discipline of focus and, and, and being the master of my mindset, which I truly believe has led me to where I am today, um, has developed over the years, you know, through sport and through every challenge I've taken on. And, and that's why it's so important. And I think triathlon is so powerful because it's so incredibly important that when we're afraid that we forge forward, that we're bold and that we're courageous and that we take a chance on ourselves and believe in what we're capable of. Because the fact of the matter is that we are more powerful than you than you could ever imagine you know I've proven that to myself over this last year but you have to take a chance on you and believe in you and do yourself the favor of truly directing your focus and giving things empowering meaning and taking action in the direction you want to go not in the direction you don't want to go yeah because it's not I mean it's not just about the fear of of a thing and having to overcome that it's uh you know if you're trying to recover from something or, or overcome something then then the negativity can become a self-fulfilling prophecy right that it you know there isn't a, how can there be any science behind it but the the power of that positive thought in healing actual you know life-threatening diseases or or in people overcoming that is there is there a tangible way of like explaining that or trying to teach it or is it i think so i mean i think there are many examples of human examples of people that have triumphed because of how they manage their mindset and my greatest mentor tony robbins has always said where focus goes energy flows if you focus on you know failing or not making it through or not having what it takes you that's what you're going to create but if i'm focusing on being strong and and being strong and surviving and thriving every decision i make is going to be with that in mind so for example you know i got diagnosed and it's like okay what do i need to do now to ensure that i go into this treatment as strong as possible and that i come out the other side surviving 
So if I'm focusing on healing and I'm focusing on having what I need and I'm focusing on getting through this, that's what I'm creating. And that is going to lead to me making decisions that will, you know, ultimately lead me to that outcome. So I, you know, decided, okay, I'm going to start meditating. I'm going to find other, you know, different things that people have said help you heal, like, you know, grounding and, and paying attention to the voltage in your body. And I, I also really thought about, you know, the things that often can lead to sickness are things that, that lead to stress and anxiety and worry are when we have unresolved conflicts within us, whether that's, you know, still feeling hurt or pain over someone that has hurt us um, and not having forgiven them or not having forgiven ourselves for a mistake we made that we can't, you know, let go of. Like, I knew that I kind of needed to go in and, and sweep my soul, you know, like sweep away, forgive, you know, the people that I felt had hurt me and, and set myself free from that, forgive myself for mistakes I may have made, um, to resolve any inner complex that I had within myself. Really or between me and Yeah, absolutely. And, and I sweeped out my soul to make way for the healing to come through me. And so it really, when you focus your attention, not on, you know, what if I die? What if this kills me? That's not going to get me anywhere. But I'm like, I'm going to survive and I'm going to thrive. And so when I'm focusing on creating that, where focus goes, energy flows, all my energy went into doing everything I possibly could to ensure that I would triumph in the end. And that's a commitment that you make. But basically, you know, I, I know in my life, you know, everything there was a time in college when I was a mess. I had OCD. I was overcome with anxiety and fear. And I couldn't even, even though I was functioning, I was, you know, a three sport varsity athlete and I'm getting straight A's and an Ivy league university, like everything seemed great, but I was so miserably unhappy. And that's when Tony Robbins came into my life with this book, it's called unlimited power. And you know, that term where focus goes, energy flows. And, and I'll challenge all of you, like think about your own patterns of thought. Are you always thinking about what's missing or what you have? Are you always focusing on what you don't want and don't want to have happen or what you're afraid of? Or are you focusing on what you want and what you love and what you want to create? And the biggest one, are you focusing on what's what you have no control over or are you focusing on what you have all the control over because depending on your patterns of thought like back in college i was thinking about what was missing what i feared what i didn't want to have happen and what i had no control over no wonder i was miserable but in reading this book and understanding this whole principle i changed my thoughts to what i had to what i loved and wanted to create and to what I had all the control over, which is my own experience of life. Like we are in charge of our own experience of life. It's how we respond and how we react and how the meaning that we give things happening in our lives. And once I shifted my focus in that way, my entire life turned around. And this applies to everyone. You know, it applies to, you know, your relationships, your business, how you perform in your sport. Um, if you want abundance in your life, you've got to make sure that you are, your focus is headed in the right direction. 
and that you are giving empowering meanings to everything that's happening to you. You, you know, failing or falling short or being disappointed, not having the race that we dreamed of having. You can focus on the fact that, oh my God, I failed and I'm not good enough and all of this. That's not going to make you any better. But if you have a race that wasn't your best or you feel like you failed, you got to understand you are going to learn so much more from that disappointment that you would ever learn from winning that race. Look upon it as a gift that you are learning something from this. So I used to always look upon, you know, failure not as failing, but as learning and as growing and that that was going to make me better. Um, and that's where I'm talking about like the meaning you give things. Um, because if you're not willing to fail, you're actually not willing to succeed because in order to succeed, you're going to have to fail along the way. If you want to become a top class athlete, then, well, you're never going to reach those highs if you are focusing on things you don't have control over. I mean, that's true across sport, but I mean, particularly in triathlon, right? I mean, I say it all the time with, it comes out of interviews time and time again that there are so many factors in triathlon out of your control. Yeah. Um, that if you're going to, if, if those are the things that are sticking in your craw a bit, then that's always going to hold you back. Yeah. And I'll, if you don't mind, Doug, I'd love to share, you know, the day I won the world championships in 2001, I came out of the water at the very pack of at the very back of the pack. And up until that point in time, my story was that if I had a crappy swim like that, that my race was over. That was kind of the story, the meaning that I gave a bad swim. But on this day, like I had never trained so hard in my life. I'd never been so prepared. And I decided to shift my focus from the bad swim and, and the meaning I gave it of my race is over to, okay, I had a bad swim, but hey, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to, for me to put my head down and go harder than I've ever gone before and do whatever it takes to get as close to the front as I can. So there I shifted my meaning, shifted my focus. I got on my bike. I rode harder than I ever had before because I had nothing to lose. I caught the fourth pack, then I caught the third pack, then I caught the second pack, and suddenly at the end of the last lap, I'm at the front of the race. And because I backed myself, like I believed in myself, I didn't give up on me. And I got off on the run and I took off like a bat out of hell. I had McKeeley Jones, who I think was number one in the world at the time. She's right on my shoulder. But I had like never felt so alive in my entire life because I took a chance on me. I didn't give up and I didn't assume that my race was over because of my crap swim. And I ended up having the race of my life and became the world champion on that day. Now, if I had followed or, or believed in my usual story that bad swim race is over, I wouldn't be a world champion today. So that's how powerful it is, you know, in motion, like in a race, how when you shift your focus and change the meaning of the things happening around you, it can totally elevate you to your greatest, greatest race ever. Um, so that's just kind of a small example of, yeah. of how this works. And was that change in your mindset, that kind of very conscious thought of, I'm, I, you know, I can do this, a result of that particularly precise and, and complete preparation that you had put into that race, do you think, that you were talking about? 
Yeah, I mean, it's not like I thought, okay, I need my, sh- I need to shift my focus and change my meaning. Like I look back now, and I see that that's how I won that race. That's how I created that on that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a matter of like really focusing on my God. I have worked so hard. I am so ready for this. And sometimes your greatest races are going to come, you know, starting with something bad happening but you can't define that and assume that everything's over like i mean things great races you're you don't i don't think i've ever had a perfect race in my entire career and i don't think i've ever seen any of my athletes have a perfect race and so if that's what you're searching for and until you you know suddenly arrive on this perfect day you're missing out on so many beautiful victories. Whether you win the race or not, it's a matter of, you know, being the best that you can be on every single day, you know, being better than you were the day before, whether that's physically better or mentally stronger or more disciplined with your thinking. Um, But don't miss out on those incredible races because you're waiting for the perfect day because that perfect day may never come. And you discovered the unlimited power book you you said was that while you were at college so that was even before you took up triathlon yeah that was like so so that was so long ago that was when I got 1991 and what I thought that book had done for me was just free me from the chains of my OCD and and led me into a place where I wanted to find out who I am and learn to love that person and you know, it freed me from a lot of pain of my childhood and growing up. But what I realize now is that those tools, you know, translated so beautifully into every other aspect of my life, including, you know, my time going through sport. And when I started triathlon, like, I didn't even know how to swim. And I was 23 years old. I mean, but I fell in love with this sport. I thought this is the coolest thing ever. I'm going to find myself through this sport. And I wanted so desperately to like, my dream was to become the best in the world, to win a world championship in this sport. And, you know, I was kind of a joke because I I was so bad. You know, my first race, I was like dead last and I, and I couldn't swim. And, but I was so eager and, and the sport made me feel so alive. It was everything that I ever dreamed of feeling and, and doing. And, but I remember when I made that decision to commit my life to this, I said to my mom, you know, I want to be the best in the world in this sport. And she kind of looked at me like, oh my God, my poor daughter, she's just crazy thinking she can do this. But I knew at that time that two things had to happen and the, the most important things. And, One of them was that I needed to let go of trying to be everything I thought I needed to be for everyone else around me because I was a people pleaser and I was just trying to be what I thought I needed to be. Um, I needed to be fearlessly, authentically me, to be my most powerful self. And I needed to become someone that was willing to fail. Uh, understanding, you know, that it is through our failures and our disappointments that we learn and we grow the most. And that was going to be necessary for me to go from where I was, which was I sucked, to achieving what I dreamed of achieving. 
So those were my two big things that I had to do in the beginning of this journey. And then it was just a matter of, you know, immersing myself in the sport, training harder than I ever thought imaginable, modeling the very best athletes in the sport, you know, doing what they did. If you model people that have already achieved what you dream of achieving, you know, and you do what they do, you know, of course, that's going to take you to all new levels of performance. And, you know, I surrounded myself with, with people that were going to push me to, to be better than I was. And, and all those things um, were kind of the, the secret to my success, my eventual success eight years after setting this goal. Like, so you were diagnosed with OCD, I mean, what, in the sort of early 90s, was it? I wasn't diagnosed, actually. Ah. I, I, um, uh, I, I felt like an absolute crazy person, Doug. I mean, I was one of those people, I'd be getting ready for a lacrosse game, and it would take me an hour to leave my dorm room because I had to put my socks on and off, on and off a thousand times until I could get a horrible thought out of my mind. And it was horrible. Like I felt so alone. Nobody ever talked about that stuff. Nobody ever. Well, that's what I thought. Uh, like back yeah, then, it wasn't a thing, right? I mean. It, well, it, it, now I know it was a thing, but yeah. I felt like I was the only person on the planet that was crazy like this or felt like this. And that's why, I, I mean. No, but I mean, it's, it's discussed so, so openly now and widely and like it's, it's a, it's a, yeah, a well-recognized thing, isn't it? But back then, yeah. There was, I, no, there was no late, no word for it. No word. So I, it was a battle I fought on my own, um, but I found a way through it. And that's given me, you know, I've been able to help a lot of other people that, that deal with OCD because of the fact that I had to figure it out on my own. But now, I mean, I think it's so important as leaders, what, whatever we're leaders in, whether you're a coach or a teacher or a parent or a friend, um, being vulnerable and being authentic is so incredibly important because people need to know that they're not alone in anxiety or not alone in fear or not alone in depression or whatever it is. It's so incredibly important as leaders um, that we allow people to share, but, but we share first so that people feel safe in sharing. Um, and then when they do, the minute you know you're not alone, you already feel better, you know, some of the, I mean, some of the manifestations of OCD must have helped you become a better athlete, right? The, the you know, the, the focus on on small things and and so on. I, I, I always think, you know, if you're, and, and therefore, in in many ways, you were very lucky to. I mean, you were always a sporty person, but you know, you were lucky to have triathlon. Then became became the thing you focus on. For, for people who never find that thing, who have OCD or something similar, it must be it must be terrible. Yeah, I totally agree. And and I do think, I mean, in a sense, it's it's a bit of a superpower because you you are paying attention to detail, but there's that fine line, you know, there's there's that line that if you cross it, it just robs you of joy and happiness in your life. And and that's where I had come to is I just yes, I was, you know, like I said, a great athlete, a great student, but I was miserable. I mean, so unhappy and so scared in my own skin. And that's where it becomes a problem. But, you know, having had that level of OCD, I'll always be a little obsessive compulsive. But 
in only the way where it helps me. It helps me perform. It helps me achieve and all those things. But if it ever gets to the point where you, it's robbing you of your joy and fulfillment in life, that's when, you know, you really need to say, okay, I'm going to get some help on this or try and figure out how to have this serve me rather than hurt me. Do you think the people around you back then um, were aware of how you felt? You know, if you're performing as an athlete, you're performing, getting great, great, great grades. Um, was it still, do you think it was still obvious to, to people that you were unhappy? Were you, were you getting support and so on? Or would people not really have picked up on it? Well, first of all, I mean, what's crazy is like, even my mom, who I was closest to, never knew that I was struggling with OCD. Like nobody knew I hit it so well, which also made it that much more painful. Um, but no, on the outside, you know, it looked like I had it made. It looked like I was happy, well-adjusted, performing. But on the inside, I, I truly was slowly dying. And that was that's what was pretty scary about it is that nobody knew except me. Um, but hey, I found my way through it. I found a formula that works. I, and, and by going through that and overcoming that, it just gave me such a strength and an internal wisdom um, to be able to handle anything that came my way, you know, beyond that point in time. So when you said earlier, you said to your wife that, you know, you were going to thrive again coming out of the, the illness or, or well, no actually as you, you had just been diagnosed what at what point you know that's such a great phrase to, to, to or a word to use right to thrive is is, is everything um at what point in your life did you become somebody who felt you know the pursuit of thriving and, and being able to thrive was what you were about and you know you were kind of lose, losing the shackles of, of everything else before um, you know, Doug, it, it, it's crazy because I felt the most blissful and the most like I was thriving in my life in the past few years before this diagnosis. And, you know, that's a crazy thing. You know, I felt energetic and I was, you know, loving everything that I was doing in my life, my coaching, you know, we run a horse rescue ranch here and, you know, speaking all around the world and speaking for Tony Robbins on his stage, like, and being happy in my marriage and my friends and, and my family. So yeah, I, I felt like I had found that sweet spot where I was living my bliss, living in total alignment with my values and what matters to me, surrounding myself with people that bring out the best in me and that I bring out the best in. And then this happened. And, but I think that I never looked at that like, oh my God, how can this happen right when life is exactly where I want it to be? Instead, I thought, okay, again, like there's got to be a deeper purpose for what's happening for me right now. And maybe that is, you know, I am so blessed to have the opportunity to speak to 15,000 people at a time at Tony Robbins events who, I mean, First of all, I mean, what a dream. I'm, I'm speaking for my greatest mentor, you know, on his stage, which is a dream come true. But I have an incredible platform where I can 
touch lives and make a difference. And I kept thinking, you know, maybe I'm going through this because what I discovered through this journey is going to give me a greater wisdom that I can share, you know, to a lot of people that can make a difference. And maybe that's why this is happening. And so how I handle this, how I get through this, how I deal with this, how I use this is going to be everything to me. And it also gave me that much more, you know, inspiration to want to make it through. Um, and I hope that makes sense. I mean, it's, it's a very, one of the greatest lessons that I learned through this journey through leukemia was, you know, I've always been such a giver. I just give and give and give and give some more. And, and, and that's what, you know, fills me up and makes me so happy. But I've always struggled to receive, whether that has been me not feeling worthy enough or me, whatever, whatever is behind it, I've always struggled to receive. And when you go through cancer, you reach a point where you have no choice, but you have to receive the help, support of others. You know, my wife had to make the money in the household and, and support me. My mom and my wife had to, you know, care for me through this, the doctors and nurses. So I learned how to receive through this journey. And the most powerful and beautiful thing about that is that once we are able to receive as well as give, we have so much more to give. You know, when you're just constantly giving, you're going to run dry. You're going to, you're going to, you know, not have enough energy to keep giving. You're, you'll only have so much to give. But when you're able to receive, you're constantly nourishing yourself and being able to give that much more. And I truly feel that in learning how to receive, thanks to this journey, I now have so much more to give. And that feels like a beautiful gift. And it also, you know, speaking of not being able to receive and had that been me not, for whatever reason, not feeling worthy of that, I know now more than ever, not just how loved I am by my wife and by my mom and my dad and my sister, but how much I love myself and care about myself. You know, when I thought that I was going to lose my life, that's when I really stepped in for me and said, it's not your time to go, Siri, okay? You've got so much to give to this world. And I realized how much I love myself and that for all of us, you know, when we love ourselves, we can do so much more in this world. We can feel that true joy that we also deserve. We can celebrate who we are and express ourselves by being all of who we are. And that is such a gift to not only the people in your life that you love and care about, but it's such a gift to this world because we are so much more and we can give so much more when we truly live authentically as who we are. But that requires you to love and appreciate yourself first. Yeah. I guess you must be just itching to bounce back and, and get back on the, or have you already on the, on the kind of speech circuit and so on. Are you, yeah, the amazing thing, and I feel, you know, 
kind of the silver lining of, of COVID is that I never stopped coaching, you know, staying connected to my athletes really gave me energy and helped me, you know, feel like I was strong and alive and all these things. And because of COVID, every event has gone virtual. So I've actually done seven events uh, so far in the last few months uh, virtually. So I've been very blessed. Um, and like I said, it's been a silver lining to not miss out, even though I've kind of been out for a year, I only missed one event. Uh, and that's the same thing, you know, I feel about coaching as well. Like, had everything been normal and my athletes were all racing around the world, like I would have missed that. And I wouldn't have been able to be there for them. So I do feel like um, I've been very blessed to the timing of this all, although it made it, you know, I didn't focus on this, but it made it super scary, you know, being immunocompromised and going through this amidst a pandemic is pretty scary, but I didn't focus on that. I focused more on the fact that, hey, you know, I'm taking, I'm going to need like a year to, to get through this and hopefully survive it and be thriving on the other end, but the world is kind of stopped as well. So it, it was a comfort to me. I mean, that's, that's horrible to say because this pandemic has been just devastating, but um, the timing has, has kind of helped me, you know, not to miss out on all the things I would have um, had it been different. So, so as someone who essentially like your triathlon success was you just challenging yourself to the next step, to the next step, to the next step and, until you reach the goal that you wanted to. So as a coach, do, do you think that makes you like, even more of a hard taskmaster or, uh, how, you know, how, how do you, how, how would you describe your coaching style? Well, I am always, when I'm coaching an athlete, I'm, truly thinking about the whole package, you know, mind, body, spirit. And I think one of the, the best things that I bring as a coach is that I truly believe that anything is possible because I prove that myself. And I've seen it happen, you know, with my own athletes as well. Um, but I, yeah, I work my athletes hard, but I also, I want to know what is motivating them? Why they want this? Like, what is their deep emotional reason why they must achieve these goals that they have for themselves? Because when you understand what the driving force is behind your athlete doing what they're doing, it gives you such great insight into how to, mo how to motivate them, how to train them, how to work together with them to maximize every single day to ultimately lead them to achieving their ultimate goal. Um, so paying attention, and that's why I say mind, body, spirit, you know, ensuring that they are motivated, they're inspired, they're connected to their values. Um, that gives you the leg up right away um, and holds so much power rather than thinking we just need to train an athlete into the ground. Having an understanding of their deep why and what's what's driving them, what's motivating them, gives you an ability to really tailor the actual physical training to get the very most out of each athlete. So, so yes. So do you need I, to know that before working with someone or do you, uh, you know, are you able to 
unpick that as you go sometimes or, or really is it something that yeah you have to sort of be able to sense that before you're able to invest in them um i'll invest i mean first of all choosing who to work with is definitely something i invest a lot of time with because you want to know that it's the right fit so i guess i'm going to know enough before i get started but most of it you discover through the process you know and and that's the fun of it is you know there's this amazing quote I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set her free. It's by Michelangelo. And when I take on an athlete, I always think of that quote because I see this person, but I know that we're going to have to chip away at all this marble, you know, to get to reveal their full potential. And so once we begin working, it's a matter of chipping away at that marble, bringing out the best in that and ultimately revealing that angel that's going to go and, you know, win a world championship or whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, knowing enough and, and I need to know that we, you know, I, I won't just take on any athlete. It's got to be someone that I truly feel shares my values, understands the way I think and cares enough about not just getting out there and winning races for winning races sake, but is really about the whole process of becoming their best self. Because I'm always thinking about, yeah, I want my athlete, if they're coming to me and they want to win a world championship, we're going to freaking win a world championship. But along the way, I want to know that they are growing and evolving into the very best human that they can be as well. That matters just as much to me. Maybe not as much to them, but just as much to me. And you were coaching like super quick after your racing career, right? I mean, it, did it just kind of segue in? You, you know, you, suddenly you were coaching at Athens. Um, how did that kind of that switch come about so quickly? Oh my God, I was so ready. You know, I was so ready to retire in 2001 after I won the world championships because I kind of found what I was looking for. And this may sound strange, but I was looking for a love and an appreciation and a respect for myself, which I got through believing in myself, never giving up and ultimately achieving that impossible dream. So I was ready to retire, but then I thought to myself, you know, being a pretty critical judge of myself at that time, I thought three months from now, I'm going to probably be saying, oh, maybe I just got lucky or maybe that was a fluke. And I didn't want to have to deal with that, you know, so I thought I'm going to commit to me. I'm going to believe in me and I'm going to put together one more year where I can race as well as I possibly can. And my ultimate goal became I want to retire at number one in the world. But I knew that that would require me putting together another year of winning a lot of races and being able to hold that number one ranking. Mm -hmm. But And that was terrifying because I was taking a chance on me again. But um Yep, that's what you got to do. So I did that, and I retired in 2003 at number one in the world, and I was so ready to share everything that I learned on this journey with other people. I wanted them to, to realize that even if they weren't very good, you know, when they first came to me, that we could achieve something spectacular, but this is what we've got to do. These are the things we've got to, you know, pay attention to. And, yeah, I... I've had some incredible athletes. I mean, I never forget my training partner, Loretta Harrop, um, who I learned so much from. She is probably the toughest woman I've ever known in my entire life, and she taught me so much, and, and I attribute a lot of my success to her being my training partner. But she had just 
left Brett Sutton, who had coached her for years, like, I don't know, 10 years, and had done such an incredible job with her. And she came to me and said, hey, I want you to help me in my lead up to the Athens Olympics. And I also had Susan Williams from the USA who was preparing. And so it was really interesting because Loretta was still kind of, you know, she was making her own plan and she'd have me look at it and we'd discuss it and we'd change things around. It was very much kind of the way that Brett trained her, but we'd make adjustments. Whereas Susan, I said, okay, I'm going to coach you. I didn't tell her this, but I decided I was going to coach her in the way that I believed was going to bring out the best in her and that was going to work different to what Brett did, you know, in my way. And it was so amazing because they both went off to the Olympics and Loretta won the silver medal and Susan won the bronze medal, which was like totally unexpected. But it was so incredible because it, it was kind of, it was reassuring to me to know that I could think, you know, create my own plan for what I thought would work for my athletes and to, have that see that it worked and see that it was successful um because i think it's hard for some people they want to coach exactly the way they were trained Mm -hmm. because hey if that made me successful then this must work you know with other athletes but i really felt in my heart that i needed to come up with my own philosophies and and a lot of that came from from what brett had taught me but it was also very very different so Um, I was incredibly blessed to have that opportunity to kind of see both philosophies at work and see both of them succeeding. Um, And obviously, you know, it was so helpful to early on in my coaching career to have those kinds of results. Um, You know, people trusted that I wasn't just a, a great athlete, but that I obviously was a pretty good coach. And, um, I just love coaching so much. It's my passion. Um, it's my heart. And I've uh, had so many incredible athletes along the way. And I just feel so deeply blessed to have played a role in their success in the sport. It's just the ultimate privilege. You know, an athlete comes to me with their dream. And it's like, I feel like they're handing me gold, you know, because our dreams are like gold. And when they come to me to have them coach them, it's like, hey, they believe that I can help them make this happen. And I take that very seriously. And their dream becomes my dream. And it's a huge commitment. And that's why I don't coach a ton of athletes because when I commit, you know, I am all in. And um, it's a big deal. It's a big deal for me, you know. So would would Coach Siri in 2004 – Athens recognized Coach Siri 2020, like you know, it, purely in terms of coaching methods, I guess. Uh, she would recognize her for sure, but she'd be like, "Wow, you got you got really confident. You're That's really, fine. you know, you're you're truly connected to your philosophy and what you believe in and how you want to do things." Obviously, I'm always learning. I I expect my athletes to grow and learn every day, and I expect the same from myself, but. I would, I think my former self would be proud of how, and it's not like a a loud confidence, but how confident I am in, in how I coach and in what I know and in believing 
in my philosophies and how I do things and and what I've achieved with my with all my different athletes. So I think she'd be really proud. Um, and yeah, I mean, anybody it, who's who's got into the pool properly for the first time at the age of 23 and made their way to become world champion and then coach Olympic medalist at the same. I mean that you know that is the kind of uh, kind of wisdom that athletes are going to be falling over themselves. You you know that that is literally building greatness out of the very well out of nothing if you hadn't swum before really right. I mean that's that is incredible. Well, you just gave me goosebumps, Doug. So thank you. You know I don't think I ever really have sat and thought about this in that way so thank you you just you just gave me a beautiful gift because I got goosebumps all over my body and it was kind of like wow I did do that so thank you that that means the world to me thank you so much Uh, but also I guess was there what was the sort of the triathlon scene like then was it did you find it was there any kind of pushback to a, a rookie coming on the scene and and kind of getting stuck in was it a very welcoming environment oh no I mean I I think people to be honest kind of laughed at me um but also maybe had a a respect for me because I wanted it so bad you know I was willing to just you know I, I remember Jane Scott when I moved to Boulder Colorado you know I told her how desperately I I wanted to to become good at this and she would throw me in these swim lanes that were like way too fast for me. And people would get so pissed off at me. You can imagine, they were like, what are you doing in our lane? You're not fast enough. But Jane would just say, Siri, you hang on as long as you can and then pull to the side. And then hang on as long as you can again and then pull to the side. And I did that because she was telling me what I needed to do to become better. And I was going to do that. But people got really frustrated with me. You can imagine and kind of laughed at me. But I wanted this so bad and and I was going to do whatever it took to become proficient in this sport and I'm so thankful for people like Jane Scott and Yoli Cassis who was my first coach who weren't afraid to ruffle some feathers uh, by putting me in with people that I didn't belong with but I fully understood that I needed to surround myself with people that were going to kick my ass that people that were going to show me like how far I needed to go before I could get to where I wanted to be. Like I needed that. And I'm so grateful that I had mentors and leaders that were willing to put me in situations like that, knowing full well that probably the other athletes wouldn't really like it very much. Hmm. And obviously 2004 was only the second time it had been on the Olympic program. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you've you've been there, you've witnessed firsthand triathlons development. I mean, it must be very exciting to see as it has progressed to, to where it stands now as a sport. Uh, it's amazing. I'm so impressed and so proud of, you know, there's so many people that were around in the day when I was racing and and I think, God, they must be so proud because they're still doing, they're still working it, you know, people um that are you know on the board or or running the races still like they must be so proud but um i'm so grateful that i was racing at the time that i did um kind of when things were just you know becoming big and and grand and all of that 
Um, but it is definitely, it's so incredible to witness, you know, how the races are run now and how big a stage we're on now and being in the Olympics. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. So I'm, I'm so proud of our sport and everyone in it um, to see how far we've come and to know that so many more people know what triathlon is now and they too now can participate at, at whatever level and it changes lives you know it makes a difference in this world and i'm just i'm thrilled to see where things are today it's incredible you guys have done the most amazing job well and it's nice you know you're you've been at the top but you're you're still so entrenched in the sport you know it's not like you're kind of misty-eyed about the past yes you you very happy to have been competing at the time that you were but yeah you're still kind of you're still at the pointy end of it very very much and so happy to be you know i i will be a part of this sport god for years to come i know i've been involved mm. for a long time but it like i said it's my passion it's in my heart and i know that i can have an impact with the athletes i work with and and that means the world to me if i can witness more of my athletes achieving their ultimate dream and living the life that they've only dreamed of, but seeing them work so hard to make that happen and ultimately achieve it. Like that's just the ultimate gift and, and joy and privilege. So um, I'm excited for everything that's ahead. That's for sure. <laughs> for decades and decades to come, I will be here. I promise. And, and are there any specific projects that you've maybe kind of cooked up over the last year given what you've been through you know has, has the mind wandered to, to other things that you've specifically set your heart on achieving or is it oh definitely you know i i'm really seeing on a daily basis uh how the things that i'm doing are making a difference and and that means everything to me that's kind of my mission in life and i want to continue you know speaking on the world stage and sharing my message and um making a difference in that way means so much to me. Um, coaching means so much to me. And I have some really exciting projects with, with certain athletes that I'm very inspired by. And my wife and I, um, over the last four years, have been rescuing horses from slaughter. And this may, at first, you may think, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, actually, working together with these amazing horses, I believe, has made me an even better coach. Uh, it has just been, they've been such incredible teachers, but we're saving them from slaughter, which is the most brutal and disgusting and horrific practice you could ever imagine. And these horses, I don't know if you know this, but horses are great healers. They're not just great teachers, but great healers. And they help people heal from things like PTSD and addiction. They help kids with disabilities. Like they are just such powerful healers. So We've saved 124 horses from slaughter in the last three and a half years, and many of them have gone on to equine therapy ranches around the country where they're healing humans. And so a huge part of my wanting to make a difference in this world and, and impacting humans and, and, in a sense, wanting to help heal humans going through things um, these horses have provided another way to do that. So we are so inspired by our mission. It means everything to us, and it's making a difference in human lives uh, as well, which is just really fulfilling. 
Um, so yeah, I've got a lot on my plate, but living life to the fullest with gratitude, with appreciation, you know, bringing out the best in myself and bringing out the best in all those around me. That's my life's mission. And I feel so blessed to have the opportunity to live that. Amazing. Well, Sirilini, we look forward to seeing where that mission takes you next. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast oh, and reflecting. And it, yeah, it's been a, a pleasure and a, an inspiration for sure. Well, thank you so much. You are incredible. I've just loved our conversation. I love your questions. Thank you for all that you do. And long live this incredible sport of ours. And thank you for uh, your help in making that happen. Uh -huh. Well, thanks very much. <laughs>